Doom Patrol, Negative Man, Elastigirl, Robot Man. Someone wants the Doom Patrol reunited. Your every word and action is being broadcast across the planet. Ready for a story about superheroes? Robot Man. Rita Farr. Crazy Jane. Larry Trainer. Niles Condor. for doom the uh, doom patrol podcast where well things are different this week because <laughs> well, I, I can't even process the uh, the things we're dealing with at the moment there's a doom patrol tv show life has changed um we're the doom patrol podcast and we now have a tv show to discuss as well yeah. as other things um yeah wow uh, i'm i'm paul Yes, hello, I'm Mike. You can find me on Twitter at AvantGarve. You can reach us at WaitingForDoom at gmail.com or on the Waiting for Doom Facebook page. You can also check out my greatest adventure 80blogspotcom run by our Doom bro, Doug Zavisha. And all our episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio and Podbean.com. And I'm Paul, and uh, you can also contact our senior show Twitter account, Wilfred, at WFDPod. Hi, Wilfred. Hello, humans. And this week, uh, well, what have you been up to, Mike? Reading comics? Uh, I've read a few comics, yes, I have, just for something different. Uh, I caught up on some uh, Crowded by Chris Sabella. That's good fun, that comic. That's, I, I finished the first arc now. Uh, and yeah, that's a lot of fun. I'm on board for that one. Uh, some detective comics with the whole mythology, uh, storyline where someone's, uh, out to basically wipe out the stuff that helped create Batman in the first place. And some Justice League where they had a, a pretty cool story on Thanagar with the, uh, the Hawkworld people. Uh, which I, and I'm a no, I know I'm a little bit behind on comics and I think that was sort of the lead into the recent Hawkman series that launched. No. It wasn't? No. There Hawk- you go. They happen concurrently. Um, I've read. Forget two, I said anything. <laughs> uh, I've read two out of three of those things that you mentioned. So okay, yeah. which ones were they? Uh, I didn't read Detective Comics. So. Right. Okay. Yeah, the Crowded is is excellent. Lots of fun, and yeah. uh, soon to be a movie starring Rebel Wilson. Yes, very exciting stuff. Yeah, everything's well, everything's coming to the screen. It's yeah, awesome. isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've been reading. Uh, well, Mark Russell. You know Mark Russell. Oh, mate, like the back of my hand. Good buddies, I am. <laughs> yeah. I know of Mark Russell, yes. Yes. Um, so I read uh, Red Sonia, written by Mark Russell, and with art by Mirko Kolak. And uh, wow, wasn't that a great comic? You don't know. You haven't read it. So. <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Man, I hate Mark Russell. He's so versatile, and he does such interesting comics. And, you know, he's, he can 
pretty much do any genre. I've been enjoying his Lone Ranger, and uh, now he's done Red Sonja, and he's you know made an interesting story with a bit of humour, a bit of modern day parody. Um, you know the the grinding of an empire across the world, and you know the things that motivate it, and etc. But uh, oh. finding the humour in that, and uh, then having it meet the immovable object of Red Sonja in the future. So I'm looking forward to things beyond issue one. So cool. And the other Mark Russell work uh, with Stephen Byrne on art was uh, Wonder Twins, which was... Oh, cool. how was that? It's hilarious. I, it's just delightful. It's a really sweet comic um, about, you know, two aliens at school and the, the dramas they have and dealing with uh, Thunderlust. <laughs> Right. You'll get that when you read it. Um, okay. Plus, uh, there's a, you know, they work at the Justice League, uh, what's it called? The Hall of Justice. So there's... What's it called? <laughs> the <laughs> Hall of Justice. That's it. There we yes. go. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, and you get to hear a little bit about uh, Clark Kent at school and Bruce Wayne at school, which is oh. not something you read every day. But, uh, no. Yeah, it's just wonderful, delightful, very amusing, very enjoyable, um, and I can't wait for the next issue. So, look at me doing the issues. Whew. Wow. Wait, yeah, remember back in the day where you were nothing but trade weight for stuff? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can't do it all the time, apparently. No, no. Well, I, I've, I'm still trade waiting for most stuff, so I, I'm looking forward to when uh, Doomsday Clock finally finishes so I can read that in trade. <laughs> wow. So. I think I'll be waiting a while. <laughs> so. 2024 or something, yeah? Oh, roll on. Roll <laughs> on. <laughs> Good Lord. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. So, I, I've kind of converted to, to your side and you're back on the singles. It's, uh... Not completely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, honestly, I'm going to buy the trades of these books just because I, mm-hmm. you know, want to keep them. So, yeah. I, yeah. And Red Sonny, I just, I couldn't wait. And Wonder Twins is probably, the, it's the only book on my pull list at the moment, so... Wow. Yeah. Look at you. Look at me. Your own, your own pool list and everything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of other exciting stuff, shall we move on and have a look at what's happening on News Patrol? News Patrol. So today on News Patrol, we thought we should probably discuss uh, the pilot of the Doom Patrol TV show that uh, has now aired. Whoa! Woohoo! Wow. So we're not going to cover the whole thing. We're not going to do a big review. There's lots of people doing reviews of it, and you can go and find reviews. What we will do is we'll just talk a little bit about our reactions to it, because it's, you know, well... People like listening to our reactions, apparently, and um, and then we'll have a little spoiler bit where we'll talk about uh, some of the questions that it has raised for us, like the things that we're wondering about, and uh, maybe we'll recommend a little bit of comics to read that if you enjoyed this and you want to uh, read a comic that relates to what you saw on the screen, we'll have a few ones that we'll pick for you. How about that? Sure. I was talking to the audience, Mike. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> As you were, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so my, well, the two words that I respond to the show with were gut-wrenching. Like, mm. yeah, it, it, it's really affecting. Like, it, 
you read a comic that comes out in 1963 and it doesn't really go very deep into emotion and it doesn't really go into, you know, what would this really be like? And um, I'm not saying that the Doom Patrol TV show is reality, but, uh, you know, it does bring a lot of the emotion into it. And, um, yeah, what about you? Non-spoiler stuff. The, the thing this show made me realise is that there's more elements of horror in it than I think... Well, I know that I really considered in amongst all the Doom Patrol I've read. There's, like, a lot of horrific elements in it. I mean, yes, we, we've read, you know, weird stuff in there, but just the... the I saw the, the term body horror being used to describe the uh, the opening... The, the introductory scenes to the show, uh, the opening credits. And I thought, you know what? That's, that's pretty spot on. Uh, and then what each of the characters go through as well. It's kind of like, yeah, this is pretty horrific stuff. Especially Rita's fall from grace, shall we say. Uh, um, and, and yeah, it, it's just really... I, the, the cast does a great job of getting that emotion across, but then the special effects as well. It was just... It, I, I loved it. Mm. I loved it. I think the uh, special effects were superb. Like, uh, you know, just the the visuals were really well done. You know, the explosions and things like that. It, mm-hmm. it was just... It looks like a real proper show. Like it's, yes. In, yes. A, in a way that things like Arrow and The Flash never do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're, uh, those other shows are a little bit more confined to their own sort of base of operations. I, I guess every time I look at The Flash on TV, like they're always in Star Labs. Mm. And whereas in this, in their first episode, they actually get out, uh, out into the world and are doing stuff. So e- even if it was wrecking the town, they decided to go visit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I think we have to get into spoilers at this point. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, if you want to skip this, uh, refer to the show notes. They'll tell you where to come back. So the big change, I guess, was uh, for me the first thing that I noticed was Cliff has a family in this one. He, uh, you know, yes, race car accident. He was a family man. So with a, mm-hmm. a wife and a a daughter, Clara, uh, wife Kate, and uh, the the nanny Giselle. Uh, <laughs> Who is the fox? <laughs> yeah. Forget who are the evolutionists. Who's the fox is a new question on this show. Yeah. And, yeah, right out the gate we get uh, Mr. Morden and his uh, origin becoming Mr. Nobody. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, this, this is a disappointment. I thought that was, you know, I prefer the version in the comics where he's in the white room for ages and goes stark raving mad and then sees the black dot and, you know, fixates on it. Mm. Yeah, I really like Well, I think we don't know how much of Morden's experience has been cut out and that we're yet to be shown. I mean, they've shown very short snippets of each character, apart from Niles. So we they they might do yet another flashback to Mister Morton. They, they they may have just done a jump cut to the bit where his body starts falling apart, so to speak, and we might still get to see that black dot. Well, I yeah, I have I have insider knowledge, and it's not in episode two. So there you go. Oh God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but it, it may well be coming. Um, and yeah, I. The main characters, Larry, uh, Cliff, and Rita, they all have kind of like an original sin, and their um, mm. their conv- their transformation is a little bit ironic in all cases. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what? Yeah, what did you think about the changes to uh, Larry? I, I get, yeah, similar thing. He he's also a family man, which was 
never mentioned in the comics. Uh, and um, he's also either bi or, or gay and, and closeted, I'm guessing, which is why he's having these, apparently, these feelings of being some sort of a monster. Um, so I, I don't know what label they're going to give him on the show, not that it really matters at all. But I, I've seen comments online that say, well, that's that people are cool with that, as am I, uh, because it kind of alludes to what happens with Rebus later on. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, hey, if, if they're bringing, like, I guess, a real-world entry point into the road towards Rebus, you know, kudos to them for, for giving it a shot. So, yeah, that, that was another interesting change. Uh, Rita, I guess she's a movie star, but I think this show has made her more of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? She's a little bit more of a bitch <laughs> in in her, you know, pre-Elastigirl time than, you know, when she's an actress, you know, and she, she treats that poor crewman um, rather horribly and she's very stuck up and very full of herself and I never really got that impression from her even when uh, in the original 60s run, you know, they showed her as, as an actress. You know, I never really got that sense of anything like that from her. Incredibly so. vain, but I, I think Rita is my favourite character from the first episode so far. I, yeah? I, I just yeah love every second she's on the screen. You know, the weaponized knitting that she's always doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you know, there's that great bit where the lady in the bar is talking about you know Rita and her dad and the way they used to bond over you know her movie. <laughs> she said, T- "Sit down, tell me more." And she's going about my dad. No, no. <laughs> It's just wonderful. Now, um, now, now, speaking of Rita and, and that scene in the bar, do, do you want to talk about your theory about something that was said to I, Rita? Yes, so the, the bar lady ra- raises the fact that um, there's a porn catalogue done by Rita at some stage, and Rita mm. doesn't remember this. So I've been thinking about this, and there's two possibilities. One, Rita did porn and doesn't remember, or one, someone else did porn and looked like Rita. So, yes, they're the first two possibilities. So mm-hmm. let's go down the path of if Rita did it and she doesn't remember, why wouldn't she remember? Why would she do it in the first place? Um, mm-hmm. you know, And presumably this happens in the lost years between when she you know, left the movie set in 55 and, you know, presumably ended up with the chief sometime before 88. Yep. Yeah? Yep. And, um, you know, time-wise in this show, it's quite interesting because Larry, you know, comes in 65. That's when his accident happens. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so everyone's from different era. And Cliff is in 88. And, uh, yeah, so, so why... Yeah, this is a mystery in the show. And they wouldn't mention it unless it mattered, which, um, you know, I wish they hadn't mentioned it. I mean, it reminds me <laughs> a bit of... Um, John Byrne having Big Barter and Superman do porn. So, you know, what sort of thick mind would do that sort of thing? John John Byrne. Byrne. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so if she did it, why wouldn't she remember? And, you know, perhaps she was compelled to, um, like being forced to or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I was thinking, well, there's this... The question here is the, the fact that she doesn't remember. And... Thinking about the comics, who in Rita's past has sort of the ability to ma- manipulate mind, uh, you know, people's memories and uh, will and things like that? And I ooh, came to... Ooh, ooh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, Giacomo. <laughs> it, w- w- would it be 
perhaps by any chance my least favourite character related to this comic book series? <laughs> Steve Dayton, Mento, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Ding, ding, ding. So, you know, but if he, you know, manipulated her to do porn, that's fairly, you know, it takes him from being a sort of um, a bit of a a sneaky rogue to being an outright villain. And I don't think his character is like that, or perhaps he will be in this show, but, you know. Um, yeah. Unless... Unless he was in a situation where he saw the situation she was in and sort of liberated her from it and then wiped her mind of it. Um, so, I, you know. I think I am hoping that that second one is the more likely of the options because despite him being a scumbag to begin with, I don't think he'd be that much of a scumbag where he would force her into doing that. I've always taken it that Steve genuinely does love Rita. And that, as you said, he he would, you know, being one of the most richest people in the world, apparently the fifth most richest man in the world, uh, he would be able to take care of her and want to rescue her from that lifestyle. Uh, and as you've said previously, wipe her mind of it uh, to bring her into a happier, more peaceful life. Mm. And, I mean, I could even imagine a scenario where, you know, Rita frees herself and, you know, absolutely murders the people responsible. So, you yeah. know, yeah. perhaps that happened as well. Mm-hmm. But either way, I mean, there is a, a violation of Rita's will if her mind's been wiped, even if it is to, you know, preserve her from painful memories. But, you know, that, you know, that's so, that's so mento. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick with, with my suggestion on on this whole reader porn thing, I reckon it'll turn out to be Madame Rouge. Oh, okay, that's the other possibility. It's not Rita; it's yeah. someone else. Yeah. But you know, why is she doing porn? Like, there's still someone is being you know doing porn. Do they want to? I don't know. You know, maybe she doesn't. It's uh, a mystery, isn't it? It is. It is. Maybe Madame Rouge just swings that way. I don't know. <laughs> She's... Yeah. Maybe. Look. Yeah. N- now I have a question for you. When I listened to the show and um, uh, Jane was talking about there being longer than being at Doom Manor longer than Cliff, mm-hmm. she said, I thought she said, I've been here seven days. Is that what you heard or did you hear seven I days? I heard 70s. I think right. this will require further investigation because, yeah, I don't quite... See, if, if Jane did first show up at Doom Manor in the 70s, what the heck is with people not ageing on this show? They all just seem semi-immortal. And I can get that with The Chief for reasons... um, From the comics. From the comics, yeah. But from... And I I guess Rita, yeah, she can hold on to her form from the 50s. Larry, doesn't really matter. Cliff, he's a robot man. But yeah, they still seem to all act as if they haven't aged personality-wise either. They just seem to... And yes, I don't quite get how Jane can be from the 70s. I'm hoping it's seven days. Who knows? It's... Well, I just thought she was, you know, so arrogant that she thought she'd been here longer than Cliff just because she hadn't seen him and she was saying seven days. But, you know... Maybe. Maybe. But uh, I could have misheard it. So, you know, that was one thing I didn't get to uh, Mm -hmm. sort out. Um I want to give a shout out to the music because it, it, I think the original music in the show is brilliant. It yes. reminds me of things that I like very much, like Blade Runner and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, 
Kevin Kiner and Clint Mansell, fantastic work on the, the music. Um, and I love all the outfits that the, the people wear, the characters. Um, they're, they're perfect. And speak, I did speaking of outfits, sorry. There, there's, I've noticed that, uh, the chief, and can I just say what a great job Timothy Dalton does? I much, oh, yeah. no, no disrespect to Bruno Bashir at all in his, uh, out, uh, outgoing uh, as the chief in the Titans episode. He did a, a good job. I think Timothy Dalton is much better suited to the role. But anyway, I noticed that in the scenes towards the end where the chief is lecturing them uh, and then, you know, warning the team about, you know, oh, my enemies are coming for me, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that old thing again, Niles. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Um, <laughs> he's wearing... He, he's, he's kind of got, like, this foreign-looking necklace on and a scarf that looks like it's from some sort of exotic locale. Uh, and I think he even has like a wrist bracelet as well that's made of leathers and beads or something. And they, they add the tiniest bit of colour to him. And there was just a part of me that said, I hope he picked those up when he was in somewhere fancy like India. <laughs> because if that's so, yeah, it could be a, co- a connection to to Celsius. Irani. 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 <sighs> I would love to see Irani on the show. You know, maybe in yeah. next season when I don't know, maybe the, cli- the 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 cliff, the chief vanishes somehow. Who knows? It's it's what I love about it is that it can go in so many wild and weird directions. Like the fact they started with Mister Nobody is a big bad in the first series. It's like what the heck? But yeah. but you know what really makes me laugh, Paul? What, the, what makes you laugh? The fact that we're going to see Beard Hunter on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's just amazing. I can't wait for that, Ed. One of my favourite comics. Um, when I met Grant Morrison, I could get three comics signed, mm-hmm. and I that was one of them. And I had um, the Brain and Mala issue mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I had Doom Force. So they were the three comics nice. that I took along to get signed. Nice. But, um, wow. And... I love the characterization of Larry. Like, he's so soft-spoken. You know, he has a real dignity to him, mm-hmm. which is which is really cool. Like, these guys could be so goofy in these outfits. And, you know, but, yeah, all my worries about, you know, Cliff and the voice coming out of Cliff and me connecting that to, you know, a real performance are gone. So, you know, I'm completely reassured on all of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. it was a... Uh, despite my obvious bias and, and yours as well, uh, you got to admit um, it's a really well done first episode. It's so yeah. well done, and I have to mention the scene uh, with Jane painting uh, at the front of the manor as well. And you know when it starts raining, and Cliff touches her on the shoulder and says, "Coming out of the rain." I literally gasped out loud. I knew that scene was coming from the promo pics. I knew it was coming. I had a sneaking suspicion that line in particular was going to be said, and it was, and I swear to God, I got teary-eyed at it. I, I got choked yeah. up. Yeah, and if we're doing a count on Jane, we've seen six personalities already in this show. Oh, wow. In the first episode. <laughs> oh, we'll have to start yeah. up the Jane clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I did enjoy that one of the kids on the bus looked to me amused rather than terrified. So. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> He's probably thinking, wow, yeah. cool, monsters. So my big question was, um, what's the deal with the, the porn history with Rita? What's your big question? Um, I, I, 
the the albino donkey. I want to know. <laughs> I I am curious to know more about the albino donkey. Um, I, I guess I'm also curious as to why Cyborg is needed to appear in this show. I mean, we've already got one, you know, well, fully robotic person. Um, I, I'm keen to see what his deal is and, and how he... I, I'm guessing he's there to help motivate them and inspire them to be heroes, which Cliff kind of already did towards the end of the, the first episode, so I don't quite get what's up with Cyborg being there. Oh, we'll have to see. I mean, everything so far has just been wonderful. So, you know, mm-hmm. we'll have to see what Cyborg adds to the ensemble. Yeah. So I, could, I can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, but I have to. <laughs> I I am completely on board with this. Um, as with any adaptation uh, of comic book material, there's always a little bit of nervousness about how it's going to turn out. I, I think they have not set a foot wrong at all. I think everything from the uh, the opening credits to the closing credits and everything in between, it was just so well done. I was absolutely wrapped. Yeah. And um, comics that I would recommend, if you enjoyed the episode and you've never read a Doom Patrol comic, I would recommend uh, the very first appearance of the Doom Patrol in My Greatest Adventure 80. Mm-hmm. Dot, dot block, uh, no, not dot Hi, dog. Yeah. Yeah, but um, read that one. That has the very first appearance of um, the main four characters, except for Jane. And then you may as well read the first appearance of Jane in Doom Patrol Volume 2, Number 19, which is, um, you know, has some familiar scenes. Mm. So Mm. I'd recommend you read those. And if you like it, keep reading more Doom Patrol comics. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Anyway, Mike, what is that ticking? Guess what, Paul? It's the Doom Clock. What? I know. Quel surprise, as Madame Rouge would say when she was making porn. No. (laughs) (laughs) What? Oh, I've gone too far. And so, yes, as we look upon the face of the mighty Doom Clock, we can see that it's been just over 14 weeks since we had a new Doom Patrol book on the shelves. That being issue 12 of Volume 6 from Jared Way, Jeremy Lambert, Dan McDay, Tamara Bonvillain, Nick Darrington, Todd Klein, Molly Mahan, and Mark Doyle. That issue saw the Reynolds family fighting to free the Demonscape from Margoth the Demon Lord, and we discussed it back in episode 131. At this stage, there is nothing further scheduled. Did you want to mention that Walmart comment? I was just about to. I appreciate your love and support, Paul. (laughs) Blatant interference. Yes, that too. So, at this stage, there is nothing further scheduled that we know of uh, in terms of issue 13 of volume 6 or whether there will be a volume 7. However, we did have a few fans of the show reach out and tell us that the patrol did appear in the recent Teen Titans Walmart comic, the 100-page giant that are available uh, in Walmarts in America. Unfortunately, we don't have a Walmart here, so sucks to be us, I guess. Uh, so yeah, uh, apparently it's the it's number seven, Teen Titans 100-page giant number seven, uh, has the uh, patrol appearing. And as Bob Gar-Ornelis said, uh, uh, Mento only appears in the story, uh, but the Doom Patrol appears in uh, a memory sequence, and Bob Gar then says, yes, the evil Walmart comics reset the, the Doom clock. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> 
thanks, Bob Gar. I guess. Thanks so much. So I wouldn't call it a full reset of the clock because we we do prefer to reset it when there's a brand new Doom Patrol comic. That was uh, how we started this whole thing. But it's a nice little appearance by them anyway. So, mm. yes. But interestingly enough, Jeremy Lambert, who was the co-writer on issue 12, when he was at the Umbrella Academy premiere, of all things, uh, he had people coming up to him and, and talking to him about Doom Patrol, and he mentioned and then tweeted out that he's very keen to show us more Doom Patrol. So Ooh. that's that's intriguing. It intrigued Wilfred. So yeah, well, not sure how that jives with the Tom King rumor, but perhaps there's you know dueling um, submissions. Perhaps Maybe that. that that wouldn't be the first no. time. Um, it wouldn't be. I, I remember Gabriel Hardman, who's been on this show before, saying that um, he had pitched something, and then that didn't pan out because he <laughs> tweeted a picture of the words Doom Patrol with a big line drawn through it. And I believe yeah. his caption was something like, oh well. So 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 maybe they're, they're, maybe they're taking submissions for a new Doom Patrol run? Who knows? But Jeremy, if you're listening, give, give us some hints, man. You know? mm. Hook a brother up, he said in a non-drug related way that got him into trouble <laughs> with Paul on a previous episode. <laughs> Anyway, Paul, shall we now play the uh, This Week in Doom Patrol History guessing game? I'd love to. You'd love to? Okay. Um, this one's going to be weird, but your first clue is I would have been 12 years old when this comic came out. 12 years old, okay. You were born... Yeah, so it's a Volume 2 comic. Correct. Volume 2? Correct. Yes. Yep. yep. Um, the title of the story... Uh, is uh, a riff on a popular 70s disco tune. Right, so that is... Paul Kupperberg? Yes. Okay. I can't remember the name of the titles of the comics, but it sounds like something Paul Kupperberg would write. Mm-hmm. Okay, give me give me a one more clue. One more clue? Oh, one more clue. Um... What number is it? <laughs> Uh, issue nine. Oh, it's num. It's the issue nine. <laughs> you asked. I gave you two. <laughs> oh dearie me! Yeah, it's issue nine of volume two by Paul Kupperberg, Eric Larson, Gary Martin, Johnny Workman Jr., and Carl Gafford. It went on sale for seventy-five cents American on February twenty-third of nineteen eighty-eight, with the cover date of June of that year. Uh, and the title of the story was It's Raining Plastic Men. Yeah. There you, Garguax. There you go. Yes. It's all about Garguax uh, and his army of plastic men. As the story showed, the patrol taking on and failing to stop the theft of missiles by Garguax's army of plastic men. Uh, the comic also featured a bonus book backup story, uh, a solo story all about Arani Desai, a.k.a. Celsius. And that was titled A Life in the Day and was brought to us by Steve Miller, Randy DeBurke, Joe Aladetta, Timothy Harkins and Elizabeth Kessler. And in that story, Arani spends a day with an elderly wheelchair-bound woman who encourages Arani to enjoy life and make the most out of it and then she passes away. So, sorry, spoilers. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I nailed it this week, didn't I? You did, you did. I think the final clue really gave it away. <laughs> Uh, but yes, we covered this issue way back over a hundred episodes ago, Paul, back in episode thirty-seven. 
from October of 2015. Can you believe it? Gosh, we've been doing this for a while. Um, so you can check that episode out for more. And that is it for the Doom Clock this week. Woo. <laughs> Hey, Jared, I have a question. What's up? Well, I've been a part of the Longbox Crusade for about a year and a half now. Yeah? Well, that's not a question, man. I know. I'm getting to it. That was called Build Up. Like I was saying, I've been with the Longbox Crusade, and I have gone out and represented the show faithfully. That's still not a question. I'm still building up. I was wondering, could I be a part of the official promo? There's this great promo for the podcast that airs across podcast land, and it has Pat Sampson, the founder of the show, you, the art cell artist, and your brother, Jason, a.k.a. Weasel Skull. But it doesn't have me, Delvin Williams. The Dark Web. Could you ask the guys that they would let me be a part of the promotion since you were the one who invited me onto the show? Well, not to be a Mr. Quick to correct, but that was at least two questions. Still, I guess I'll ask. Let me go talk to the guys and you stay here. Okay, great. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up, Jared? What's up, Jared? I have a question. Delvin's been with us for like a year and a half. That's not a question. Uh, yeah, I know. It's called Build Up. Hey, can we finally include him on the promo? It's the least we can do. He doesn't know that we're getting paid yet. And he never will. I mean, do we need him? After all, we already have the Longbox Crusade. And I provide awesome synopsis and insight on Crusader Chronicles. And I host Saturday Matinee Theater and also provide these nuts jokes. Hey, I do that. Me too. So we're fine as it is. What does Delvin do? We should just let him go. Wait, he hosts Transformers Chronicles. You should know that, Pat. You're on that show. So what do you say? Can we keep him? <sighs> Fine. Let's do it. Let's do it live. We could have done this with him in the room. It would have made more sense. Why is he outside? I think we were doing a bit. Okay, let's do this. The Longbox Crusade Podcast Network is the place to be if you like deep dives in the comics of yesteryear with the Longbox Crusade. Chronological reading journals with Crusader Chronicles. Indexing forgotten TV shows, films, and serials with Saturday Matinee Theater. Pitting two randomly selected action films against one another. An action film face-off cataloging the Marvel run of the Transformers comic with Transformers Chronicles and whatever else the demented minds of Pat, Jared, Jason, and Delvin can come up with. If that sounds like it might be for you, be sure to subscribe to The Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much all reputable podcast feeds. Or check us out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com where we continue our quest to... Now it's time for Doomsplaining, the part of the show where we look at something Doom Patrol related in much more depth, uh, you know, put it under the microscope. And today, it's a weird one. We've got a mini-series called My Greatest Adventure, which is also coincidentally the name of the first appearance of the Doom Patrol, the comic that they appeared in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a six-issue miniseries that came out in the waning months of 2011. So it technically passed the new 52. So yeah. it's... Um, yeah, and... So Mike's going to look at the first three epi- uh, issues, and it was a anthology title, so it also had the adventures of um, Garbage Man, very popular. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. And uh, Tanga. Oh, Tanga. Oh, so good to see her back. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I thought the first two Tanga movies were really good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one when she was, uh, she was in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. For the last time. The la- last, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, let's let's get things started here. I like the one where she got some money with, you know, Tanga and Cash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. 
yeah, you carry on. Anyway, yes. Uh, so My Great Adventure, as Paul said, uh, six issue miniseries, uh, was cover priced at three ninety nine at American back in the days when DC was holding the line at three ninety nine. Wasn't that catchy? I think they rest. I think the rest were two ninety nine because I never bought this because of the price. I Did can you? tell you that. No, I, I was buying yeah. it. I've, I've got the single issues. I've even got the uh, the first uh, issue signed by uh, the writer of the Robot Man story in this, Matt Kint. Um, I got him. Whoa. I got him to sign that when I was at HeroesCon. You went to HeroesCon? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've been. Yeah. Have you been to HeroesCon? Um, yeah, I've been to HeroesCon. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. Right. Cool. So anyway, let's kick things off with a bit of a history lesson. So back in the 1970s, DC had a thing for anthology titles of the weird, insert genre here kind. So they gave us weird war tales and weird western tales, and those ran for about a decade each. Uh, but from 1972 to 74, DC published another anthology series titled Weird Worlds, which mainly featured creations by Edgar Rice Burroughs, such as John Carter of Mars and Tarzan, as DC had obtained the licensing rights to do so. This continued until issue 7, when DC realised it was no longer economically viable to adapt so many of his works. And so in issue 8, Denny O'Neill and Howard Chaikin introduced the sci-fi rebel character Ironwolf. Then in late 1973, there was a national paper shortage in America, and so DC decided to cancel several of its lowest-selling books, one of which was Weird Worlds, so its final issue, number 10, was put on hold and finally released mid-1974. Still with me? Have you turned into Chris and Reggie? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for trying something different. Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway, jump forward 37 years, and in early 2011, DC decided to bring the Weird Worlds anthology idea back, this time as a six-issue miniseries. This volume had three separate stories featuring Lobo and two brand new characters, Garbage Man, created by Aaron Lopresti, and Tanga, created by Kevin Maguire. Now, according to the website Comicron.com, estimated sales in America went from just under 15,000 copies sold with the first issue down to about 8,500 copies sold of the final issue. And I mention that just to keep on track and remind everyone that, yes, this is indeed a Doom Patrol-related podcast, because Comicron also indicated that this Weird Worlds Volume 2, despite its fairly mediocre sales, still sold better than Doom Patrol Volume 5 which was out at the same time. Yeah, that that hurts. (laughs) That really hurts. The only time the patrol sold better was with its final issue of that run, issue 22, because, of course, that's just the patrol's luck. Right. It's that hot garbage man action that people want. It is, it is, yeah. And uh, all all that sexy space adventures with Tanga. Anyway, despite those low sales, DC must have liked what they saw and decided to have another go at it. And in October of 2011, just after they had launched the New 52 era, they snuck in another anthology series, once again featuring Garbage Man and Tanga, but this time the other star of the book was one Cliff Steel Robot Man. And as we know, thanks to Paul's intro, the title of this comic was My Greatest Adventure. Yay, another Doom Patrol connection. I'm still on brand. I'm not just rambling incoherently. So, Garbage Man and Tanga pretty much got to continue their stories from the preceding Weird Worlds Volume 2, with he becoming the protector of Gotham's homeless while seeking vengeance on the shady chemical company that had him bumped off, while Tanga has adventures in space fighting giant space monsters and drug lords with delusions of grandeur. Still with me? Cool. <laughs> I am. Cool. But of course, the story we want to focus on, titled Uncanny Valley, is the one involving Robot Man. 
And so this story was written by Matt Kent, uh, with Scott Collins doing the art, Jared K. Fletcher was the letterers, and Michael Atia was the colorist. Uh, and so across the, the six issues, each story got ten pages each, and let's kick it off, finally, mm-hmm. they say. And so, Uncanny Valley opens with Robot Man flying through the air. Why, yes, you heard right, dear listener, this version of Robot Man can fly. And he's heading back to his base of operations just outside Las Vegas after destroying a remotely operated stealth battleship launching warheads off the coast of California. Yikes. As he touches down at his headquarters, we learn that it's here he's set up a detective agency, or as he calls it, an adventure agency, with his assistant, Maddie Rouge. Uh, who has the ability to read the thoughts and feelings of anyone in close proximity, except for Cliff, of course. We also learn that Cliff's robot body is actually made up of nanobots that allow him to reconfigure himself depending on his mission requirements, hence the ability to fly earlier. And we learn from Maddie that they have a new case. A Mrs. Turing is worried about her brother, Dr. Turing, who's disappeared. While Maddie can sense that Mrs. Turing is lying about something, she gives Cliff the case info, and he flies off once again, this time to the Doctor's last known whereabouts in Havana, Cuba. Cliff begins scanning the area for clues, and realises that something is wrong with the people in a crowded restaurant nearby, and as he enters, they attack as one mindless zombie-like horde. As they begin to literally pull our hero apart take a drink. Maddie arrives in a small personal jet, making radio contact to chastise him for not waiting for her. And as Cliff's head gets literally thrown out of a window, he thinks about two things. Firstly, that his robot body is basically bound by Asimov's laws of robotics. That is, he can't hurt a human, nor stand by and let them get hurt. Uh, He has to obey all human orders, and his body can protect itself provided the first two rules aren't broken. And this makes him having a human brain inside his robot body even more interesting. The other thing he thinks on is his discovery through the scanner results within his systems uh, that the rice in the restaurant has been modified with nanobots. And it's that that has zombified the customers. Just as he figures out a way to insulate the rice to burn it out of their systems, uh, he gets his body still inside to transform in order to make that comic book science happen, and Maddie arrives and helps him put his body back together. It's at this point we learn that this new robot man body can turn any organic matter it consumes to help power him, uh, and that in conjunction with solar cells and kinetic generators keep Cliff running. So to help power him up, <laughs> Maddie dumps the contents of a nearby rubbish bin into his back, Ugh. and Cliff also swallows a school of fish as he zooms off to Dr. Turing's intended destination, Zanzibar City. As he arrives, his senses detect online chatter about a giant snake destroying the city, and he quickly springs into action, climbing the scales of the two-kilometre-long monster, noticing that it's also a victim of nanobot mutation. As he increases his armour to leap literally into the belly of the beast, Cliff unconsciously downloads a video of the digestive process of a snake, then wishes he hadn't done that. Uh, and at this point, Maddie radios in again. She's learnt that Turing wasn't actually heading to the city, but an island near Zanzibar. And she mentions that it's the island she found Cliff on. And just at this moment, the snake's stomach pressure begins to crush him, and you may as well take another drink. But all is not lost. Cliff suddenly thinks, let's see what happens if I turn my body heat up to 10,000 degrees and run through this snake's body. And surprise, he comes flying out of the now incapacitated monster. He heals himself by diving into the nearby waters, hoovering up yet another school of fish, and makes his way towards the island, following Maddie's beacon. 
As he makes his way towards her, he notes even more nanobot mutation infecting both flora and fauna. Cliff and Maddie finally reunite, and he tells her he's detected a big anomaly beyond the volcano in the distance. He grabs her as he takes flight towards the mystery, but a massive boulder comes towards him, causing him to crash land. He gets up and tells Maddie to stay behind him, to which she replies, no problem, as a giant Kirby-esque monster lurches towards them. What did you think of the first half of this story, Paul? Well, uh, there's a lot going on. Mm. I'm distracted. Every time you say nanobots, I'm thinking of old lady bottoms, so that's distracting. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, wow. Okay, uh, I won't kink shame you. Each for their own. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Maddie Rouge. Hmm? Mm, Madame that Rouge. Sounds... Yeah, but nothing like Madame Rouge. So... No, no, not a, a porn-making evil French woman. So yeah, <laughs> and. Yeah, just uh, his girl Friday to uh, the, this new version of Cliff Steele. And uh, I'm presuming because of Matty Rouge, it is a new version of Cliff Steele, not just, uh, you know, this is a new 52 Cliff. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, this, the the Volume 5 of Doom Patrol had ended, I think, maybe five months uh, before this comic launched. So it's, yeah, it's, it's as you said, it's it's essentially a reboot. Uh, it's and what I like about it is it's the most technologically advanced robot man I think we've ever seen. Normally he's like this gigantic hulking metal man, and this he's got jet engines coming out of his back and his feet. He's picking up internet signals and doing research on the fly as he's flying. He's turning organic rubbish and poor fishies into <laughs> into a power source for him. I think it's it's kind of cool. I, I like this new robot man. Yeah, and very manga looking. Sort of. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah I don't like it. <laughs> you don't like it? <laughs> I don't like it. Okay. It's uh, it's sort of robot man fan fiction. You know, it, it, to me, it's it's Cliff Steele, but it's it doesn't feel anything like Cliff Steele. I mean, Cliff Steele has a sort of everyman quality. You know, the the guy who's surprised by what's going on, but has the you know grounded, down to earth attitude. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, this is just a guy who's you know going with the flow with all this new technology and the fact that he's a brain and he can pretty much do anything that uh, the the nanobots can do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I believe you have a different opinion. I I think I'm enjoying the start of this at least more than you are. Um, he, he does mention that he he you know he was a bit of an adrenaline junkie, um, and so he's still trying to find that that same spark, I guess. So mm. you know, I, I'm liking it so far. Well, the the art by Scott Collins is great. So. It's awesome, yeah. Yeah. It's it's wicked cool, as the kids say. Yeah. And they still say that, right? Oh, all the time. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> cool. <laughs> wicked cool, Dad. Thank- wicked cool lunch. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just glad I'm still on fleek or whatever it is. <laughs> anyway, do you, do you want to take us on to the, the latter half sure. of this series? So, part four, uh, Cliff shoves Maddie out of the way of the giant boulder, lobbed at them by the Kirby-esque monster. Um, he doesn't quite save himself, and his body falls to the ground with a shattered head. 
Um, a nanite-infected bird comes down to infect his prone form, but his torso swallows the parrot. I enjoyed that. Um, an internal war <laughs> takes place between uh, the nanites of the bird and his nanobots, and the battle is brief, but Cliff wins, um, and his microscopic army overcomes the intruders. Um, as self-repair commences, Cliff sprouts a radio dish and picks up Maddie's message. She has spotted a bunker nearby and is going to investigate. Uh, the giant monster has spotted her on the move and tries to intercept her before she gets inside the bunker entrance. Cliff, still repairing, reminisces about the other different time he was lying helpless before he was a man who was a robot. Um, as a global thrill-seeker and adventurer, Cliff was recruited by Unreason which is the Universal Nano Robotic Exploration and Space Online Network, which is, uh, yeah, they really wanted it to call it unreasoned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bit of a stretch there, but anyway. Yeah, um, he agreed to pilot an experimental car in a race with uh, other experimental cars where all the experimental cars would break the land speed record simultaneously, which sounds pretty silly. So anyway, extreme speed and nanites, what could possibly go wrong? Oh no, something went wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. his car uh, explodes in a fireball. And that's where part four ends. In part five, uh, Maddie Rouge was Cliff's support crew for the race, um, the last voice he heard before the car crash. And she also took the blame for the crash. The fiery destruction of his car caused a race between the explosion destroying his body and the nanobots working to protect and reconstruct what was left. And they were only able to save his brain by encasing it in a robotic body. So he lost everything else. Uh, he emerged from the wreckage with nothing left except a brain. Um, fleeing the scene in horror via rocket boots, um, he crashed onto a nearby island uh, and realised he was now incapable of dying because he smashed down pretty hard. Uh, so any damage that he caused to himself is going to be instantly repaired if he absorbs some uh, food or energy. Um, this island, coincidentally, was the same one where he now lies in the present day. So <gasps> off the coast of Zanzibar. Um, so his nanobots from the original crash have been infecting and replicating throughout the native animals, causing the weird things that are attacking him and monitoring him and, you know, the lizards with uh, electro eyes and, you know, gorillas and things. Uh, mm. But he's repaired enough to walk again and Cliff stumbles upon the site of his original impact and you can see his body shape in the ground. Uh, but he's interrupted by the monster smashing him deep into the ground. Bursting out of the ground <laughs> quickly, he flies around the monster, then rockets through its chest where his scanners show its brain is housed. And he calls it a gecko monster, which doesn't really come across. But anyway, uh, the monster stumbles and falls smack on the ground. Uh, then Cliff flies towards the bunker, bursting through the wall to see the military scientist, a Dr. Turing, menacing Maddie. Or, you know, actually he's just standing near a console while she's standing nearby. Not, he's just, yeah, not really menacing her at all. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plot-wise, I think he should be menacing her, but no, it doesn't come across. Yeah. And in the final chapter, um, Cliff is fighting uh, super clingy nanite baboons, which have appeared. <laughs> in that first page of, of this issue, it looks like Dr. Turing is taking a photograph with his cell phone. I'm sure it's like the activating panel to launch the cyber baboons. But yeah, if you if you look at him, he's like, "Hey, this is gonna look great on my Insta." Yeah, or I reckon he is. That would be yeah. yeah, probably. Anyway, Cliff gets rid of the baboons by flying into the air and into the nearby volcano. Did I mention there's a nearby volcano? There's a nearby volcano. 
Yeah, I mentioned it too. Oh, good. You know, it's all right. We're, we're all caught up. There's a volcano on the island, yeah. of course. Yeah. Mm. Um, glowing hot and smoking, not a cigarette, just smoking in general. He lands back down within the bunker, ready to punch Turing, but Maddie stops him. It's over. Unreason are on the way to contain and clean up the island. Turns out old man Turing was behind the car crash and disgracing Maddie this whole time, and he would have got away with it too. Anyway... <laughs> Later, at the docks, the Unreason boats have arrived, and a red-bearded man looks very familiar, <laughs> known as mm. the Captain, is there to receive Turing, and he tells Cliff that they are here to help, and they will fix the island. Um, but Cliff doesn't want to hang around. He grabs Maddie and flies off in disgust. And then he remembers how Maddie tracked him down after the accident, and he, f- and he finally met her, because previously he'd only heard of her voice. Um, and the Captain hoped he would stay with Unreason, but Cliff was unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! And left to start his own life in the Nevada desert, where he created like a space needle and stuff like that. Um, mm. Cliff and Maddie realised the whole case was a trap to lure him to the island, and then Cliff flies off to assist with an oil rig disaster as Maddie sheds a single tear in a moment of uh, unearned poignancy. And Cliff muses that if she's <laughs> going to stick by him, he'll work harder to put the man in Robot Man as he pulls apart a giant squid. <laughs> That's attacking the oil rig. Oh yeah, yeah, on the oil rig. Yeah, not not just for laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> he swung past the seafood store, and anyway, yeah. Um, what do you think of this one? Look, I know it's only a six-issue miniseries. There are three stories in it. They only get ten pages each, but I still think the ending of this felt really rushed, and didn't really resolve a lot. It was kind of like, hey, it's your fault that all this weirdness is happening anyway, and he's the guy that caused your accident. Okay, we'll take him away now. It's like, oh, okay. Mm. Audio. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's... I I think it starts better than it ends. Uh, Overall, um, the ending's a little bit... It doesn't quite stick the landing. But it's... I, I still like the design of this robot man. It would be cool to see him back somewhere maybe i don't know but did did you like anything at all about this half of the story um it, it's okay I, I i like the monster the monster is really cool um yeah big one and yeah I, I i guess i would have been happy with this story if it had been a different guy who became a new robot man like a you know they've had a robot man mm-hmm. before the doom patrol the one from the um you know the the jsa justice society Oh, the Earth 2 robot man. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, why can't they have another one who's, you know, slightly different? But, you know, in terms of, like, to use DCOCD terminology, there is no impact and legacy from this story at all. (laughs) Nothing. This is true. Nothing stuck. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. this is true. It was all forgotten instantly, so... Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting read, but like I said, it feels like you know, sort of Robot Man fan fiction from someone who doesn't really like the uh, Doom Patrol Robot Man. Mm. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an okay diversion from what we know of Robot Man. It's it's as you said, no no impact or legacy, and it's but it's it's kind of okay. It's yeah, I I was buying it as it came out because I was hoping it would lead to another Doom Patrol series or, or something. But, yeah, e- even reading it back in the day, I was kind of like, uh, okay. 
Lot, lots of nano monsters and animals and mm, okay. Oh, they they took the bad guy away. Uh, okay, <laughs> sure. I, I did I, I did like uh, not that it was really used that much, but the inclusion of the Asimov's laws of robotics. How he he kind of has to, you know, his robotic body has to protect humans, um, and is kind of he's debating what he's going to do to Dr. Turing when he finds out the truth about, um, you know, his accident and, and what led to this island being the way it is. So, yeah, there are a couple of interesting moments in it, but, um, yeah, it's it's okay. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I like the art, and the covers were pretty good. There's a really good one by Amanda Connor on issue four. Um, mm. Yeah, and Scott Collins did a cover for issue two. And the interesting about the covers, it had all three featured characters featured on the covers. It wasn't like this time it's Robot Man's turn. They all show up on every cover. So, yeah. Yeah, which is yeah. interesting and different. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Walt Simonson draw Robot Man on issue six. So if you yeah, if you wanted to see what that looks like, it looks nothing like the Doom Patrol. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, th- I think I'm done with this one. Yeah, it's. I, I think we've doomslained it enough. And now it is time for the Mailbag of Doom, where, amongst other things, we will get to the question of the week, which was, who's your favourite covert organisation in comics? But first, a couple of special little diversions. I need to give a special shout-out to my mum, Pat, who listened to the show for the first time wow. the other week. And she she said she had no idea what we were talking about, but she was thoroughly entertained. Wow. Yes, yeah, so thanks, Mum. Mm. Thanks, Mike's Mum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all right, you can call her Pat. That's her name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Mrs. Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that's the thank you for tuning in, Mum. Much appreciated. Love you, and thank you for your support, as always. Mm. Um, now, Mike, uh, do you have... Well, it's the mailbag doom. I sent you some mail. You did. Paul sent me some mail in real life. IRL, as the kids say. Um, and he sent it to me a couple of weeks ago now. And there was a note on the back of it saying, Do not open till recording WFD. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. So, um... As you start to open that, Mike, I will I will talk to the audience. So, you know, in the past we've discussed how Mike um, is doesn't really appreciate everything about comics that I do. Uh, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. Superman comics. So uh, mm-hmm. I took it upon myself to send him a copy of a Superman comic that I <laughs> very much enjoyed and hope that he will enjoy as well. And probably oh wow, probably one of the first ones I read when I was getting into comics. So. Okay, thank you very much. Paul has sent me a copy of Superman, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you very much. I, I, I saw, yes, I have never read this. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so I, I what, should I also announce we're going to start a new show that about Mike, Paul converting Mike to Superman? <laughs> <laughs> wow, thank you very much. Okay, I... I have some Superman stuff to read. So, classic story by um, Alan Moore uh, with art by George Perez. So, a couple of hacks yes. hacking it out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks awful. Yeah, it looks, looks very 
very oh wow okay no i have to admit really the only superman stories i've really read uh like the death of superman and you know world without a superman so and of course the other whatever other big eventy thing he's appeared in so this this will be new territory for me sir thank you very much mm, well i have to get an update mike unless you don't like it in which case shut your bloody mouth <laughs> that's our show folks uh <laughs> Anyway, let's get on to answering uh, the question of the week. Who's your favourite covert organisation in comics? And first off, we heard from Justice Trek 2019 at Justice Trek on Twitter, and they replied with George, G-E-O-R-G-E. If you've never heard of them, that just shows how clandestine they are. I've never heard of them, Ted, so <laughs> no idea. They uh, uh, from what I believe, they were part of Blackhawks, oh. uh, and and they, I think, they were an attempt to sort of make Blackhawks kind of more superheroic-y by having this, um, and, and it was something. It was I can't remember the full acronyms now, but they they were against uh, organizations of revenge, greed, and Ex- something else. Extortion. I think that was it. Yeah. So. But that's who these good guys were out to stop and get. So, and yeah, somehow they were tied into the Black Hawk comic book. Ah, oh, that's vaguely yes. familiar. Um, we heard from Willie Yarbra and at Black Vulcan on Twitter, and he said, "My go-to Dirty Tricks covert squad will always be Task Force X, the Suicide Squad." Mm. Mm, very good choice. Nice. Yes. Uh, Ranger Gord at RM Ranger on Twitter said, I like the original Secret Six from 1968, written by E. Nelson Bridwell. I have to admit, I don't know a lot about them. I think they kind of took their missions from a mystery person called Mockingbird. That is correct. Oh, thank God. <laughs> cool. Nice answer, though. Th- thank you, Ranger Gord. Yeah. Let's show Mike what he's won. It's a book. It's a Superman book. Um, no. Hooray! We heard from Ange, Dr. Ange, and he said, uh, most definitely the Legion Espionage Squad. They even have special privileges, which lets them circumvent some of the stodgy rules of the Legion Constitution. Thank you, Ange. A lot of information there. And Mm. he showed a picture of Shrinking Violet, who's super cool. Cool. Okay. Do you want to go with his number two option as well? Uh, Yeah, and then he said, if they aren't covert enough, I'll go... To, uh, no, I'll, I thought he said I'll go number twos, but no. He said I'll go to number two and said checkmate. No. Yes, I thank you for that second option and not going number two on Twitter. That's that'd just be wrong. Uh, Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Sean Ross answered with uh, a snarky answer first: the Comics Code Authority. Mm. Oh, very good. Mm. But his real answer is Legion Espionage Squad as well. And the same picture that Ange used. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> we heard from Into the Weird and at Into Weird, and they said uh, Planetary, the archaeologists of the impossible. Yeah, great series, great. You read that? Mm, that was. Uh, I did read some of it many years ago. It was that that was the one with Drummer in it, wasn't yep, it? Yep, yep, yep. The guy that could talk technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read a bit of it many, many moons ago. Yeah, it was cool stuff. Mm. Uh, Warlock Thanos podcast said, I would say Section Zero, but there is no Section Zero. Wow. I, I, I have the first three issues of Section Zero published by Image um, that were never com- mm-hmm. never completed, but you know, now they've completed oh. the story via Kickstarter. And I have, oh, wow. I've never seen the end of it, so... <laughs> 
Yeah, okay. Carl Kessel and uh, Tom Grummet. Very good. Right, okay. Uh, the Long Box of Darkness said, uh, since I'm a massive Weird War Tales fan, I'd have to say hey. Project M for Monster, the secret science group who made the Creature Commandos and the GI Robot. Uh, I love everything nice. about that sentence. That's very cool. I love the yes. Creature Commandos. <laughs> it's like the Universal <laughs> Monsters fighting Nazis. Yes. Awesome, awesome stuff. Yep. Mm. Jeffrey Brown at Tzijgo, uh said the Weird Happenings organization, the Men from Nowhere, and the Village. Ooh, a bit of Doom Patrol yeah. in there. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, nice. Um, and I don't know something witty. Who's that? Is that someone we know? I I changing shade. Ah, okay. Jonathan. On Twitter, Jonathan. Yeah. He said uh, Sword acronym Sword, the division of Shield that deals with aliens but doesn't constant. Uh, doesn't consistently suck at their job. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice. Uh, Martin Gray at Martin Gray chimed in with the Jimmy Olsen fan club. How is this even a question? <laughs> and he, he sent us some artwork and um, it looks like everyone's disguising themselves to look and sound just like Jimmy. Wow. Okay. Wow. Mm, how is that even an answer? Mm. <laughs> we heard from Saul Bishop, and he said, Chick- Checkmate, the mid-2000 stuff with Max Lord and Sasha Bordeaux was great, plus all those crazy Omax. Crazy Omax everywhere. Yeah, no, I love that run. Very good. I need to reread that. I need time to reread that. I've got to go. Don't. <laughs> I need time to reread that, the, the, the anguish cry of every comic collector everywhere, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, we then heard from Chris at BTO and Bat Books, and Chris said, The current title, Black Badge, from Boom, was the first thing that popped in my head. I know I have to be overlooking others. have to admit, I know nothing about that series. Sorry, Chris. I'll, I'll give it the pitch in two words. Secret, mm-hmm. secret scouts. Oh, I know the one you're talking about now. Okay, yes. Uh, the Like the Boy Scouts that go on covert missions and stuff. Yeah, it, right. it's Matt Kent anyway. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, over, I'll have to check that out. Over on the Facebook, we heard from uh, Keith G. Baker, who said the DEO, uh, Department of Extra Normal Operations, uh, when led by mm-hmm. Mr. Bones, the Chase comic made good use of this. I love the Chase comic. That was so good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Dan Curtis Johnson. Uh, mm. Great stuff. Yep. It was very good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Jared Driscoll chimed in with Wildcats. They were good at being covert for a group that had a giant purple dude on the payroll. <laughs> and he had giant horns on his back. He did, yeah, yeah. No idea why, I never read it, but yeah. That's that's one of the first things that pop into mind when I think of Wildcats. Yeah. Um, we heard from Tim Price, who did every single podcast in the sun this month. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm, get your own podcast, Tim. Um, he said Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad and showed us pictures of two versions of Suicide Squad, uh, the John Ostrander, Luke McDonald series, which is awesome, and the Keith Giffen series, which is okay. <laughs> right. And um, shout out to Ryan Daly, who gave us a thumbs up, but didn't bother to reply. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Right. Thank- thanks, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I-, I guess you're busy with... You know, being a dad and having all your other podcasts and stuff. But thanks, thanks yeah. for the thumbs up. Love you. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, fond of you, mate. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Alright, All right, Paul. Who is your favourite covert organisation in comics? Um, ah, jeez. Um, this is really hard, and particularly because I didn't think of an answer before we recorded. Um, but <laughs> I think based on how I'm feeling right at the moment, it's probably Checkmate. It's the, uh, the okay. second run of Checkmate under Greg Rucker and Eric Troutman. I would like to read that again. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they were, you know, proper spy stuff, which is in the, in the way that Greg Rucker does things. Yeah. Mm. Nice. That's that's me today. What about you? Um, I could. I, it occurred to me I don't really have much in the way of like covert ops type comic books, uh, and so the only one I could recall reading and enjoying way back when was the Chase series. So I'm going to also have to go with Deo uh, because that was just a really cool comic and. Uh, I really like Chase's backstory and that, but the fact that they were kind of sneaking around, keeping an eye on the metahumans and the superheroes, I, I really like that. And um, I, I, I would like to read that series again someday when I have time as well. <laughs> so I need to track it down, uh, of, of course, but I, I believe it only went for about 10 issues, I think. Yep. Uh, so it, I should be able to snap it up somewhere. But yeah, I, I'll go with DEO. I... I I just like the fact that they're watching out um, for, you know, metahumans mucking up, so to speak. Oh, good choice. Fist bump. There we go. Fist bump back. Nice. Cool. Right. Um, well, I guess we've come to the end of the show. It's sad. Mm. Yeah. It is. Anyway, we will be back next week. We're time for a DC OCD, and we're going to be looking at uh, Bruce Wayne Murderer, as it's called, and then Bruce Wayne Fugitive. <laughs> which is definitive. Um, he's murderer yes. with a question mark. And um, next time on Waiting for Doom, I think it's time to... We'll, we'll talk about um, more episodes of the Doom Patrol TV show. Good golly. Mm. And uh, What a time to be alive. A Doom Patrol TV show. I'm sorry. It's very exciting. It is. And it, it's even better that it's very well done. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. Um, and we will be looking at uh, when... There was a tangent version of Doom Patrol, so another Mm. weird version of the Doom Patrol coming your way. So, (laughs) soon. Um, And the next question of the week, we've got another one, is what comic creator will make you buy comics regardless of the character or company? So, who are you really into, basically? Mm. So uh, I, I bet I bet your answer is Mark Russell. <laughs> it probably will be. So thanks for that. You love Mark Russell. <laughs> I do, but he won't return my calls. Anyway, um, <laughs> how do people get in touch with us, Mike? Uh, people can get in touch with us on Twitter for starters. They can say hello to Wilfred at wfdpod. They can email us directly at waitingfordoom at gmail dot com. You can also check out the Waiting for Doom Facebook page. You can check out Doug Zavisha's excellent posts over at mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com. And dare I mention this last bit? I suppose I could, cause, should, because we've already mentioned it in another episode. Um, coming very soon, there will be a waitingfordoom.com. Mm, yeah, we're working on it. it. It Yes. Wilfred should be doing more work, but, you know. Wilfred's very difficult. He, yeah. he is, isn't he? He's... It's not the most helpful AI. Mm. Yeah. But yes, uh, there are plans afoot uh, and things are happening where we will have our own dedicated site. Uh, all our episodes to our shows will be available on there. 
Um, there'll be a proper comment section for each episode. It'll be awesome stuff. There'll be image pages. There'll be blog posts. It's going to be pretty cool. Mm. Pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. I can't. Did I hype that up? No, I can't wait. I wish someone would do it for me, though. <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> Hello, Aaron Long, if you're listening. Hey. You know? Hey. Hey, Juice Man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll talk to you next time, mate. Right? Bye. That's us for this episode of Waiting for Doom, guys. Stay weird, be good to each other, don't be a crumb bum, and we'll catch you again next time for more Waiting for Doom. Waiting for Doom.